0: Good morning, church family. My name is Derek. It's good to see each of you, each and every one of you. Good to look around and uh, see my church family. Much appreciative, uh, much appreciation and love for you. I was thinking, in fact, uh, was realizing this week, looking at the calendar, that uh, uh, this week, five years ago, this week, was uh, the first time that my family and I publicly showed up at uh, faith church and became part of the family so super thankful for that and thankful for you and uh, good to oh yeah well no thank super thankful for you and, and we didn't start till a few months later so um, that, that is marked in a few months but uh, but was thinking back and that's uh, that's a significant amount of time and uh, God's love has uh, abounded to us through you so thankful for that. Uh, Grab your Bibles and open to Acts chapter 1 if you would, and in just a moment we'll jump into God's Word as we always do. So if you're able to bring a Bible along or open up an app on your device and find Acts chapter 1, that would be great. Really good to start together this morning with singing that we built our life on Jesus. That he is our foundation. Everybody say, there's no one like Jesus. Turn to someone uh, near you and say, he alone is worthy. Turn to someone else in front of you or behind you and say, there is, uh, he is the name above every name. That's where we want to build our life, is on on the rock, on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And today, in, in, as we look into God's word, we're going to be um, talking about a group of people who built their lives on Jesus, and as a result, became witnesses for Jesus, sent into the world to proclaim his greatness. And as we look into the scripture passage this morning, we're also going to see the tragic story of one man who never built his faith on the rock, who built, never managed to get his life built on the rock, who never made it all the way to true faith, a heart submitted to Jesus, to to the ways of Jesus, not his own ways, a man who could not put aside living for himself, who, who gave the outward appearance of religion, the outward appearance of godliness, but does not enjoy eternal life with God. So, hopefully your Bibles are open to Acts chapter 1, and uh, just for kind of context's sake, just for knowing kind of where we are in the course of biblical history, in the course of of history, and uh, God's working in the world, we look at verse 12, and it tells us that the apostles returned, the disciples returned to Jerusalem after the ascension, so... Jesus has ascended, has, has lived and died and been raised again and appeared to his followers and then ascended into heaven. We finished uh, last Sunday imagining ourselves looking as Jesus was lifted up out of sight. So now we continue here after the ascension. And Verse 14 tells us that these disciples were in unity and were devoting themselves to prayer. And then now let's, let's continue in, in this passage here at verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all, about 120. And Peter said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled with the Holy Spirit, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. If you're not as familiar with the story, Judas was one of Jesus' closest friends, one of the uh, original 12 disciples, 12 apostles. And for the, for the price for the, uh, of 30 pieces of silver, Judas betrayed Jesus, leading Jesus' enemies to Jesus and to arrest Jesus. And that, of course, led shortly thereafter to his, Jesus' crucifixion and death. Verse 17 Peter continuing about Judas, for Judas was numbered among us, and he was allotted his share in this ministry. And there's kind of this parenthetical uh, insertion here by the author, Luke, to explain what became of Judas. Verses 18 and 19, now this man, Judas acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So that field was called in their own language, Akaldama, that is, field of blood. So Peter has stood up, in verse 15, among the rest of the followers of Jesus, and started by saying, Scripture had to be fulfilled. Back to verse 16, Scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. Now we've seen what became of Jesus. So now let's get back to verse 20, and this is Peter continuing. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men, Peter continues, So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John the baptizer until the day when Jesus was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And so they put forward two candidates, two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias or Matthias. And they prayed, and they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Father in heaven, as always, we need you as we come to your word. We thank you for the gift of this book we hold, where you speak to us, and we thank you that you, by your spirit, indwell us to open our hearts and minds to what you have for us. And so, God, as we open your word, we pray that you would be our teacher and that you would help us to see what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So as we take a, a walk back through some of these verses, some of this passage, uh, let's look back to the beginning of the passage we began reading this morning. And uh, I think we're going to see in multiple ways that God's purposes prevail. And, 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 you know, and maybe if you've been following Jesus, maybe that's such a simplistic statement. God's purposes, his plan is unfolding. His purposes prevail. And yet I know our own lives give resistance to that at times, or gives resistance to our belief that that is true, that God's plans are unfolding, that his purposes prevail. I mean, here we have Peter, of all people, stepping into a leadership role among God's people. If you know the story of Peter, if you don't, Peter denied even knowing Jesus three times before Jesus died. Of all people, We would expect, perhaps, for God to put in leadership of God's people. We have this man, Peter, who who rejected and denied even knowing Jesus. But what? But was forgiven, was restored by by the risen Jesus, and was commissioned back into ministry to, to shepherd God's people, to feed the sheep. Because God's purposes prevail. Peter's Ineptitude doesn't get in the way of what God wants to do. God's plan is unfolding. Uh, in the pa- early in the passage, you see the phrase that the Holy Spirit spoke uh, by David, the writer of the Psalms, the writer of the Psalms in our, of some of the Psalms in our Old Testament is King David. And so here Peter is saying, the Holy Spirit spoke by the mouth of David. Wait a second. You mean there was human beings, imperfect, sinful, broken human beings writing down the words that we call God's word? Did did that somehow get in the way of what God wanted to do? Did that somehow get in the way of this book being what God wants it to be in our lives? No way. Because... The Holy Spirit spoke. God himself spoke through David. This is one of many great places in Scripture where we see what we call the inspiration of Scripture, that the words of the Bible are God-breathed, that, yes, God carried along human authors to put pen to paper, so to speak, but we see the inspiration of Scripture that that, that the Bible you hold in your hand is, is revelation from God. Because God's purposes prevail. He gets the word out. His plan unfolds. The passage we started reading up there also has the, in verse 16, has the phrase, the scripture had to be fulfilled. We could read a passage like this and wonder what went wrong? Where did things go off track? Why did Jesus even like Judas? Why did he pick Judas? Why was Judas in the 12 disciples? We could think that, that uh We could look at this story and think, what a mess. Things must have spun out of God's control. But right here in God's word, it tells us that Scripture had to be fulfilled. Judas's betrayal was no surprise to God. It was, in fact, by by the testimony of God's word, it was, in fact, long anticipated. Judas's actions are not somehow out of God's awareness. Jesus was not mistaken in selecting Judas. And that reality extends all the way to Jesus' death being God's plan for our rescue. Jesus' death wasn't an accident. When Judas betrayed Jesus and and and, and Jesus gets arrested, God's not there going, oops. This is long-anticipated plan of God, God's plan for our redemption. A key point of this passage this morning is gonna be that the sovereign God who is good and loving and sovereign and over all things and orchestrates and everything comes across his death, desk, death, nothing comes across his desk and nothing that happens to us has not been seen by God first and it's either ordained by God or allowed by God our sovereign God is not derailed even by something as wicked as being betrayed by someone on his inner circle. That doesn't throw the plan off. God's plan is unfolding. God's purposes prevail. Despite what you and I might judge to be seemingly disastrous circumstances, God's plan continues on track. So let's keep looking at our passage. Verse 17. For Judas was numbered among us. He was was considered one of the disciples, one of Jesus' followers. Verse 17 says he was numbered among us and allotted his share in this ministry. He had served alongside Jesus. And again, we, we, we might be thinking what went wrong? How was he numbered as a disciple? And then we get this aside, as I said earlier, this parenthetical in verses 18 and 19, where Luke explains what happened to Judas. And I think Luke's point here is to underscore the horrific judgment of God that Judas experienced. The horrific death that Judas experienced soon after betraying Jesus shows that God was very much aware of what was going on and God imposed his judgment against sin and evil in Judas's actions. So Luke, the author of Acts, why is he telling us this story? Why do we get these gruesome details of Judas' horrific death? I think Luke desires us to be warned to be prevented from following Judas' negative example of unrighteousness and betrayal. There are, it's okay if we take this a bit heavy for a moment here. There are sobering ramifications of rejecting Jesus. When we hear the gospel, the good news that God rescues sinners like you and me through the life, death, and resurrection, if we give the gospel the Heisman, if we turn it back, if we think we can save ourselves, if we think we don't need help, there are sobering ramifications for rejection of Jesus. And so at stake in this earthly life that we've been given to travel through, at stake in this life it is, is taking the opportunity to come to grips with our incredible brokenness and sinfulness and rebellion. And let me just rephrase that. The, at stake in this earthly life for me, Derek Olson, is the opportunity to come to grips with my brokenness and sinfulness and rebellion against God, whether you see it or not, is to grapple with that and come to grips with it and recognize how desperately I need to be rescued. I mean, I don't think we need God's word to tell us some of the depravity that's in our hearts and minds some of the proneness to sin, some of the ways we go against him. I don't think we need God's word to tell us, because I bet if I gave you a few seconds of silence, those of you that are followers of Jesus and indwelled by the Spirit, the Spirit would convict you of ways in which you go against him. And yet we also see plenty of opportunities to be cross-examined by the scriptures on the screen will be Second Timothy chapter three verses two through five. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, disobedient to their parents ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And, and we have this on and on and on in multiple places in Scripture, right? And we probably didn't need Scripture to point these things out to, about our hearts and our minds when left to our own devices, when left to ourselves, when left to our default inward nature, our selfish nature, our sinful nature. These are the things that bubble out. Look at that again. Verse 4 is continuing that list. Treacherous, reckless, wholeness, conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And look how this continues. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. This is an incredible passage to consider. It's incredible to look at verse 5 and recognize that there's this list of sinful behavior. And then it's saying about all of those behaviors. Verse 5 is saying those things can be present and you can still have the appearance of godliness. Those things could even be known by others and somehow twisted to be perceived as indications of godliness. We can take our sinful, wretched rebellion against God and then present it to others and kind of make it into an outward appearance of godliness. And so we ought to let the scriptures cross-examine us sometimes. And we ought to let Judas' negative example check our hearts and minds about where we stand with the God of the universe, the creator of all things. True Jesus follower, true submitted to Jesus follower, or practicing empty religion. The internal realities of a disciple the internal realities of a follower of Jesus. What is true in your heart is what defines a true disciple, is what defines spiritual growth, is when we grapple with what is true on the inside. What is reality about us is what defines whether we are growing in our relationship with God or not. Judas appeared to be a follower of Jesus. Many around him would have said he was a follower of Jesus, but he was not a genuine follower of Jesus. He was living for self. He had not given himself to God's control and put himself in God's hands. And then... Look at the end of that passage. It says, "Avoid such people." And wouldn't it be our tendencies to go, "Yeah, avoid such people." And then I say, perhaps it ought to say, or also could also say, "Make sure to avoid being such a person," because we want to point the finger, and I want to, and I want us to point the finger to our examining our own heart. Do we? Do we sprinkle a little bit of Jesus into an already busy life? Is our devotion and affection in our lives lived for other causes? And then because we want people to think we're a good person or because we want our kids to grow up nice, we might sprinkle in a bit of Jesus... Or are we immersed in Jesus? Are we in Christ? Is he conforming us and transforming us and giving us a new heart and new mind and new desires and a new attitude and making us new from the inside out? So that's rough so far, huh? We can, we can be pulled from out of the darkness and into the light. We can be pulled out of death and given life. We can move out of our progress towards self and evil and destruction, we can be pulled out of that and into life with God. The gospel is the spectacular news that God takes you and I, sinners and rebellion against him, and he pursues us and he comes after us and he makes it possible for us to be rescued. The gospel is the spectacular good news that God rescues sinners like you and I through the life, death, and resurrection because Jesus lived the life that we cannot live. He died the death that we deserve. He was raised to new life. And because Jesus has new life, we see that we can too. Life now, rich, meaningful, full, abundant life now, And, yes, life eternal. It's not about what we do. It's coming to grips that we can't rescue ourselves. It's not about my behavior or matching up or trying to earn or hoping I did enough for God to like me. The gospel is the spectacular news that God did it. That he came after us, reached out, pulled us out of the dark, and put us in his glorious light. He pulled us out of destiny for death and separation from him and into life with him. It's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus has already done on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, to put you back in relationship with God, to be raised again, to show us that new life in Him is possible for what for us as well. And just like we can move from death to life, from spiritual death to spiritual life, from, from doom to hell to an eternity in the presence of God, just like that can happen through Jesus, we also, church family, can move from beyond the appearance of godliness to spiritual transformation into the likeness of Christ. We can, but we cannot transform ourselves. Just like I can't rescue myself from sin and death and into eternity with God, I can't transform myself into the likeness of Christ. But what we can do is make ourselves available, put ourselves in position, open our hearts and minds, put ourselves in avenues where the Holy Spirit is active and where he can do the work that only God can do. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a new year, right? There's kind of this thing about new year, There's kind of this refresh opportunity. There tends to be a time of of reflecting back and looking forward. I mean, it's a new year, right? Is it it our desire to live for Jesus? Might this be a good time to evaluate and to set goals and to look like for what it looks like to live for Jesus, to have a fresh, to take advantage of this fresh start? Might we want to do that? And then what about collectively as a church family? It, It really has seemed like a new season, in the history and the life of Faith Church, hasn't it? And it's an opportunity then, you know, that we're excited for. And so are, are, you, are we ready to see what God has for us? Are we ready to step into what he's calling us into in this new, fresh season? First, first, first before running ahead, we must submit ourselves to Jesus. For first we need to go from outward appearance of godliness and empty religion to immersed in Jesus. We can get all excited about what God has for us and in our individual lives and in our families and our plans. We can get all excited about what God might want to do here in Faith Church. What's he calling us to? What does that look like? What new thing are we going to do? And then we realize that the Bible says in Romans 12 that it does not want us to be conformed to this world, to be formed and shaped and changed by what's going on around us and act like other people act and let those pressures form us and shape us and tell us who we're supposed to be. The Bible says do not be conformed but be transformed and then you will know what is the will of god it's a new year we want to know what's god's will for me what's next we want to know as faith church what are we all about what are we doing what's next and then and then god says start with knowing jesus that if you want to know what god's will is for your life if you want to learn what discernment means discerning means bringing god into our life and our decisions and our and our purposes Discernment means wanting God to be the one that shows us the way, not living for self, not making decisions according to the world, but learning to see Him, hear Him, listen to Him, obey Him. Because hearing God's call and discerning what God is up to and, be, and living for Him begins with continual spiritual transformation going on in the life of a Christian. Not just once, back when you became a follower of Jesus, but, but, but doing these things, hearing God's call, knowing what he has in store, discerning what he has for you, living for him. It begins with continually being transformed into the likeness of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and I want to know if we're putting ourselves in a, in a place and opening our hearts and minds for that kind of transformation. Because as, as, you're, as, as you as a follower of Jesus experience continual spiritual transformation, it will be for God's glory, it will be for your experience of abundant life, and it will be to the blessing and benefit of everyone around you. So let's go back to the passage. Re- remembering now that Judas has forfeited his role as one of the 12 apostles. Judas' betrayal has led to his judgment and death. He has forfeited his role among the 12 apostles. And so our passage continues. Let's look at verse 21. So one of the men who have accompanied us, one of the followers of Jesus that have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when Jesus was taken up from us into heaven, one of these men must become with us a witness to his, uh, to his resurrection. We have entitled this series, as we're teaching through the book of Acts, we've entitled this series, Witnesses. And so we, we began talking about all that Acts has to say to us about being witnesses for Jesus, being testifiers, being proclaimers of Jesus. And um, and, and this morning, in, in this morning's passage, we see yet again what a crucial piece of the witnessing is that it's crucial to our witness is the resurrection. The resurrection is what sets things apart, what sets Jesus apart, what sets Christianity apart. And so it's so key here as they look to replace Judas, as they look to find the man that God wants to replace Judas, they're looking for someone who is a witness to the resurrection. Because church family, I'm pretty sure you've heard, our God is not dead. He's alive. It doesn't have to just be Easter for us to say Jesus is risen. Yeah. Did you know we can do that besides Easter? Jesus is is risen. He's alive. And you know what his life tells us? That we too will live. Jesus is the resurrected reigning at the right hand of God, King, and we are resurrected people. In Jesus, we have been raised to new life now and forever with him. The resurrection is key to our witness. And so they made sure that as they were going to select this new 12th apostle, that it was going to be someone who, yes, knew what Jesus did, was there when the miracles, heard the teaching, saw his death and resurrection, saw his ascension into heaven. But, it's, but they wanted an eyewitness to the resurrection. And then, and then last uh, Sunday's passage showed us that it's not just those 12 disciples that are to be his witnesses. Last Sunday we were reminded by chapter 1, verse 8, that you, follower of Jesus, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my, what? Witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria and to the end of the earth. Follower of Jesus, if you have given your life to Jesus, if you are immersed in him, if you are being formed by him, if you have come to the end of yourself and recognized you can't save yourself and you've called upon Jesus in faith saying, rescue me, save me, Jesus, lead me. May my life be all about you. If you are in Jesus, then God himself, by the Holy Spirit, lives within you. And you are empowered, equipped, and enabled to live for the glory of Jesus, including the fact that you are empowered, equipped, and enabled to live as his witnesses, as testifiers, as proclaimers of Jesus' greatness. And yeah, those 12 apostles, they were, they were eyewitnesses to the resurrection, but you are the witnesses to the resurrection too because you have seen the new life that Jesus has brought out of your death. We are re- empowered to be witnesses of the resurrection too because we know the truth of God's word, that Jesus is alive and that he's making me alive. And so we can be testifiers, proclaimers, ministers of the gospel good news that through Jesus we have life. Judas forfeited his position. And so Peter is leading them to find a replacement. Verse 24. And look at, look, at, look at the early church. Look at these early Christians. As Peter is leading them and they need to replace Judas, what are they doing? Verse 24. And they prayed. And look at their posture toward the risen Lord Jesus. You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us which one of these two you have chosen. Their prayer is simply for the Lord to show them his plan because God's purposes prevail, because God's plan is unfolding. Even when we see these seemingly disastrous circumstances and we wonder if the train has jumped the tracks and we wonder if things have somehow spun out of God's control, their prayer is simply for the choice between these two possible candidates They're asking for Jesus to make that choice. And that's the opportunity we have as followers of Jesus, is to live our lives in in decisions big and small, in the way we operate, in the way we interact with people, to submit our interactions and our relationships and our choices and our roles to the leadership of Jesus. Verse 26, And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias. And so he was numbered with the 11. He became the 12th apostle, apostle the replacement for Judas. Now, I, anybody else get caught at the, the lots thing? I, I mean, it, it, it strikes us as odd at first. It, it strikes us as, it's a foreign idea to us because it sounds like gambling, doesn't it? <laughs> but, but when we consider biblical history, and when we consider the situation, this is actually uh, Peter and God's people submitting themselves to what was a biblically acceptable way of making decisions. And we see that in places like Proverbs 16, that's on the screen, where this is God's word itself saying, The lot is cast into the lap, the dice are rolled, so to speak, but what? But every decision is from who? God's, God's purposes prevail. God's plan is unfolding. It doesn't matter what we think seems to go off track or what might goof it up. Or, man, isn't that gambling? God's purposes prevail. The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. They 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 went to prayer, they were given the two candidates. God's people went to prayer. They said, Lord, make it clear to us which one you want it to be. And then even in casting the lots, they're saying, we trust that God is sovereign over all things and that what happens happens because he wants it to. Amen? So the other thing I wanted to notice um, about this passage quickly is I think it gives us an example of a biblical example of a community of God's people walking with God entrusting themselves to God looking to the risen Lord Jesus as their senior pastor what do we have throughout these verses that we've read in this chapter so far we have Peter leading there is human leadership involved but then we have people who are who are recognized as being united and caring for one another, and devoted to prayer. We have them looking to God's word for how to proceed. We have them seeking Jesus and trusting Jesus with the results. That's a model for us as a family, as a people of God, what it looks like to walk with God and discern what he wants, not what we want. And so, I mean, what's the practical application of this? So next Sunday during the congregational meeting, I think we'll cast lots to determine whether Michael can continue as an elder or not. Or not? We'll cast lots, and you know, no. As you know, when our official members gather for a congregational meeting after church next Sunday, we will vote in regard. We will seek your affirmation by vote to confirm that Michael continue to serve as an elder for this uh, coming year. Um just a little bit more about this lots thing. I think this passage is, this is a passage of scripture that you would say is descriptive, not prescriptive, meaning it's describing a circumstance that was unique to that time. It's not prescribing how we select leaders all the time. And here's why I say that, because this is what's really interesting. While that was a biblically acceptable modeled method for choosing, what we know about the rest of biblical history, about the rest of church history, the next two times in Acts chapter six and Acts chapter six and Acts chapter 13, the next two times that a leader is selected, there are not lots. There is only prayer and listening to the Holy Spirit. Discernment: learning to grow and living our lives according to His purposes, not our own. Discernment learning to live out our lives, small things and big things, by hearing what God wants us to do, not by being conformed to the pattern of this world. That's what we see in the rest of Acts in terms of of leadership selection. And we have this, church family, uh, here's a takeaway for us. We have this opportunity as well as followers of Jesus to grow in discerning God's will. We have, how do we do that? If you're a follower of Jesus... God himself, by the Holy Spirit, lives within you. The Holy Spirit is is guiding you. So we have opportunity because of the Spirit living within us. We have opportunity because we have access to studying what God wants through his word. We can talk with him in prayer. Our prayers need to move from a lot of one-way talking to more listening and hearing and learning to discern. And the reason I bring up this topic if I'm if I'm honest is this is an area of growth for Faith Church. Discernment of what God is asking us to do, not what we want to do. Why do I say that? Because people outside of our church family, godly followers of Jesus outside of our church family who have seen our interactions with one another with others, our ways of decision-making have given feedback to us to say, you know what, that's something that God may want for Faith Church to grow in, is how do we respond in ways? How do we interact in ways? How do we make decisions in our life in ways that are discerning God's will, not conform to the pattern of this world and not defaulting to the sinful, self-centered nature here? And so discernment If that's something that God wants to do in this church family is grow us in discernment in learning to live out the ways of Jesus and not our own ways in order to submit ourselves to his guidance and direction, if that's something that we want to grow in, then that begins with personal spiritual transformation that we already talked about. It starts here. If we want to get there, it starts here. That as a follower of Jesus, there is continual spiritual growth and transformation, going on into the likeness of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, um, and I just want to encourage you that I think in, if this is something that God wants for this church family, your leaders are taking the lead. Our staff team and our elders are all studying together right now. We've recently begun a, a, a study together in times of prayer and discussion with the, with the intention of learning what ongoing personal spiritual growth and transformation looks like. what what increased submission to and discernment of the will of God looks like. And that'll give glory to God. It'll help us live the abundant life and it'll be a blessing to you. Because then we are gonna wanna invite you into that process of increased discernment as well. We wanna lead. We wanna shepherd. We wanna care for you. We wanna spur you along to knowing Jesus more and more. And we do that as we hear from God and care for you out of that. So pray for us. Pray for the staff. Pray for the elders. Encourage them of what God's doing in their lives as God wants to mold and shape uh, the life of our church family. How are we doing? We tracking? Okay, here you go. One minute. God has spoken to us through his word this morning. Amen? God has spoken to us through his word, so what do we take with us? We take with us that God's purposes and plan is not derailed even by the wicked actions of Judas. That God, his purposes prevail. That his plan is unfolding. That that circumstances that might seem disastrous to us do not derail our great God. What else do we take away from it? Uh, We take away from it that God's plan continued to unfold in the selection of Matthias. He is not thwarted by Judas's actions. He is not confused by the throwing of dice. God's purposes and plans are unfolding. And so our lives are filled at times. If your life is anything like my life, our lives at times are filled um, with things that might tweak our perspective and where our perspective would go, man, this is overwhelming. Man, this is disastrous. Man, things have gone off track. Man, God, where are you? Man, this is impossible. There's no way through this. But God is good, and he rules over all things, and he's at work for your good and his glory. Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness to us. And this morning, I especially am thankful, God, for your word, the Bible, that you have given us, that we can study not only on Sundays, but that you um, call us to open in our homes, in our lives, to, to seek you, to hear from you. So God, thank you that the word of God is your inspired word, that, uh, that human authors were carried along by the Holy Spirit, giving us your very words to us. May we put ourselves at your feet by opening the pages of your word. And Father, thank you also that we have seen in this passage today that all you promise comes to be, that all the words of Scripture are or will be fulfilled, that all that Scripture tells us has or is coming to fruition, and that means, that shows us that you are a faithful God that we can count on. God, I pray that we would be um, that as individuals, as followers of Jesus, you would teach us to live by the Holy Spirit. We don't want to live for ourselves, Father. We don't want to be conformed to the world. We, want, we don't want to be shaped by others or by pressure or by giving in to our own natural tendencies. We don't want to hide our sin under the appearance of godliness. So, Father, help us to confess our sin. Bring us before you to confess our sin. Help us to confess our sin to a brother or sister in Christ so that we can receive your grace, your forgiveness. Help us to recognize our need for you and then be so thankful for your forgiveness, mercy, and grace. And Father, I pray that we would be a church family that honors God in all we do. God, would you um, work in our midst that we would be a people submitted to you, a community learning to live for you, maintaining unity, being devoted to prayer, people that look to the word, and people that seek after Jesus and, and then trust his direction, knowing that you are good and that you are sovereign and over all things. We thank you, God, for your greatness, and that your greatness comes near to us through Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. May our lives be lived in thankfulness to you. In Jesus' name, amen.